0: That's pretty awesome right there, isn't it? How's everybody doing? It's awesome. Good, good. Uh, man, I'm pumped up to see so many people here in the second service this morning. Uh, let me hit a couple things. If you are a first or second time guest, we want to tell you how pumped up we are. If you're a 10th time guest, we're pretty excited that you're here too. But for everybody that's here, so we can get a record of you, this is what we're going to start asking you to do on the back part of your worship guides. There's a card. We would love for you to fill that out. The place that you drop it off as you're walking out and drop your pens off. If you'll just put this in there, that's awesome. Also, we don't pass offering plates or boxes or things like that here. We do offering a little different. At the back, there's a giving center. If you want to give to our church, that is awesome. We have these offering envelopes in your worship guide. You can give this way. We have a place that you can swipe on a kiosk like you're buying movie tickets, only this is given to the Lord, or you can give online, so it's awesome if if you'll do that. That is fantastic. Now, this is the last week of the Four Point Stance, and it's been an amazing summer for us because it's kind of changed the game for our church. It's kind of changed the culture and what we believe God wants the culture to be, and so today is the end, but it's really the beginning. It's the end of this series, but it's what we believe God is going to do, and so what we think's fixing to happen in our church, it's about to get crazy. I just need y'all to know that. It's about to get crazy in our church, and we think, uh, for instance, September the 7th, we're going to have over 300 people here counting the two services, and so we're, we're just really excited. Today kind of wraps up everything that we've done, and it kind of puts the cap on the end of the four-point stance. And so I, I just want to read it to you. And we're going to go back to this word vision because it's, it's putting the end on the vision. The very first week was We Are Four Points Church. We exist to reach the least, the lost, and the lonely with the gospel. And that is our vision. And today is putting the end of it, putting the cap on the end, and it's this. This guy right here, he's pretty crazy. It's, we are united under one vision. We, aggress- we will aggressively defend our unity and the vision that God has given us through our pastor. We will aggressively defend the unity and the vision that we have. And, and here's why I want y'all to know that. Vision can be simplified to this, okay? Vision can be simplified to this. It is what we believe, why we believe it, and it directs everything where we go and what we do, okay? That's our vision. That's, that's, listen, listen, I don't care if today's your first time, second time, or if you've been at this church forever. You have a vision, every one of you that are sitting in here or can hear my voice if you're watching online wherever you are, you have a vision your home has a vision and it's clear like when people walk in they can tell within a certain amount of time what the vision is for your home matter of fact, the people that can really tell are your family members, your wife or your husband, your kids, if you have kids they know your vision because it's based on what you believe and why you believe it one of my biggest pet peeves how many of y'all have heard this before it doesn't really matter what you believe. It doesn't really matter what you do. Just do your thing. It's not a real big deal. Have y'all ever heard that? Have y'all ever heard people in a conversation say that? Raise your hand if, if you've heard people say that before, almost everybody, right? It doesn't really matter what you believe. Like, I get that a lot. It doesn't really matter what you believe, bro. Like, why are you worried about what I believe? Well, because that that decides what your vision is. And your vision shows everyone what you what you are, who you are, what you think, and like it dictates everything that you do, so it matters. You're like, well, you're a preacher. Of course it matters, bro. You, you want us all to believe like you believe. No, no, no. Yes, but no, I, I, want, I, want, <laughs> that was good. I want you to follow since a lot of people in this room, and if you're not, just stay with me a second. A lot of people in this room would call themselves Christ followers. But when people see our vision, they're like, and I'm talking about individually, when they watch us live our lives, they're like, what are you doing? And this is what it reminds me of. If you've come here before, you've heard this before. I have two kids, and they're awesome. They really are awesome. I'm not joking. Before I say this, I really think my kids are awesome, and I love them. Whew. They're a challenge. The, the oldest one is not a real big challenge. Matter of fact, when we had Laney, we thought we were awesome parents. We thought, like, why don't people come to us for parent advice? We didn't have to baby-proof the house, like, We just Leah has these precious moment things that are porcelain. We just kept them out. We just say no, no, and she said okay, Daddy, and she was so sweet. She just didn't do it, and I was just like, all oh, kids listen to me. I'm freaking amazing. I'm like Yoda of parents. This is unbelievable, and so like, so so we just assumed that that's the way it was, and then we had our freaking second kid, uh, and it's like whatever the balance is to balance the force or whatever you want to talk about that happened. And I told someone earlier today, and they were like, that's so mean. I was like, no, really. If, if, if the Tasmanian devil and then something else crazy had a love child, it's Haston. Like he's buck, wild, and steroids, combination. It's awesome. He's, he's really cool. But, and then every time I start getting frustrated in what he's doing, my mama just goes, really? <laughs> Have you seen you? And I'm like, yeah, my bad. So, so, like, he's just like his daddy, so what I just described was me. But, like, if I gave them no rules, if, if we went home today and I was like, you know what, just do whatever you want to do. The vision for this home is just do whatever you want to do. I actually would enjoy watching that. Like, if I had a padded room, I might do it for a week because it would be insane. Because this would be Haston. He would be naked. Because we're not into clothes, bro. When he walks home, I I don't know. Like, is it all, is it just males, y'all that have baby boys and they've gotten older? Maybe it's just dudes. Because I didn't have to teach him to put his hands down his diapers. He just does it. I'm like, that's awesome and so weird that you know to do that at two years old. And, like, he walks in the room and, like, I I just barely get him home. And he's like, and he's got his clothes off. And I'm like, yes, that's okay. But, like... Laney, if you ever do that, you can't date till 35 instead of 30. Like, don't do that. So, oh, it's just so much different. But, like, he would take over. He would eat only cookies, ice cream, and gummies. That's all he would ever eat if we let him do what he wants. And he'd still be naked. And he would take a bath, but soap wouldn't be included. It's just so he can splash around and make a mess and flood the house. And all the while, Lainey, full of drama, would be telling him, Stop, Hasten, you're so silly. And then she'd laugh at him, and they'd both get in trouble. And Lainey would put hair bows on everything in the house. And everyone would wear dresses. And eventually, they would just wander. And it would be a disaster. Although, if it was a reality TV show, it would be awesome. It would be a disaster. Because the truth is, most of the time, Hasten's middle name is No. And it's not because we don't love him. It's because we want to teach him our vision. That that obedience is not not something we're trying to teach the two-year-old so that he thinks that we're just mean, crazy people. But because we have to have rules or he will lose his mind. He's already lost it. He will do the things because he is crazy that a crazy little boy does. And so we're like, no, the vision for this home is we're going to do boom, 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 because this is what we believe. This is why we're going to do it. And so we have to have these things. Because a lot of people, they just wish there were no rules in the world, right? They just wish I could just do my own thing. I wish it was martial law, like no one made me pay taxes because those taxes are stupid. Yeah, well, Not when your kids get picked up in the school bus and we have asphalt on our roads. They're not real stupid then. And I don't like paying taxes, but at least we have stuff that is provided for us. Like if there were no laws and no jails and no consequences, it would be awful. But yet, a lot of times what we say is, I just wish I could do my own thing. And it doesn't really matter what we believe. It just matters that you do your thing and you go through life. And listen, I'm here to argue today that nothing could be further from the truth. That the thing that we should fight for as Christ followers is our vision and what God has given us. And I don't want you to misunderstand what this says. God has given this to us God has given this to us. You are part of this body, and God has given this to us. And here's the tension. Here's the tension. All of us have a vision. The question is not, do you have a vision, but what does it reflect? What does it reflect? Because this is the the ultimate thing about vision. Our vision determines our attitude. Our vision determines our attitude. If you remember one thing that I say today, this is what I want you to remember, that your vision determines your attitude, that what you believe ultimately determines how you act. And so, so in fairness, let me, let me just say this about attitudes. A lot of times I have people come up to me, and if anybody understands a personality type that's a little bit up and a little bit down at times, it's this guy. I understand. I have a big personality. I'm a little bit eccentric, and there's times that I understand high highs and low lows. I'm not talking about chemical. I know people struggle with serious depression, and I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about when we just decide when we wake up in the morning someday because we didn't get what we wanted. And y'all know what I'm talking about. And we just decide today, today I'm going to be a jerk. Right? That's what a bad attitude is. I'm just going to give y'all Mark's definition. A bad attitude is I'm deciding to be a jerk today. All right? And so, so it's just, you know what? I, my, my wife didn't do what I wanted her to do. My husband didn't do what I wanted him to do. My parents are terrible. I don't like them. I'm going to be a jerk. I'm mad. This is what we're telling people. Here's what I believe. I believe if I don't get my way, then I get to act like whatever I want to act. You know, the result of that is (laughs) a lot of problems, but like, why would I want what that person has, right? Why would I want what the person with the bad attitude displays? And yet, if we're being honest, just me to you, if we're being honest, every person in the room, a lot of times that's the attitude of the church, right? Right? That's the attitude of the church. Maybe not on Sunday. Maybe not when the band rocks it out and it's awesome this morning. Maybe I feel good then. But on Tuesday, when my boss comes in with bad news, or something happens with with one of my people, or I get a bill in the mail that I wasn't expecting, boom! My circumstances affect all of me, and my vision is so small or so weak or so limited when it comes to following Jesus that I'll let that determine my attitude. And so the truth is I have no vision. The wisest man that ever lived, Solomon. The wisest man that ever lived. If you've ever read Proverbs and Ecclesiastes and Song Solomon and several other books, this is, this is, this is him. Proverbs 29, 18. Most of y'all have heard this, even though if, if you don't know it's from the Bible. Proverbs 29, 18. I'm going to ask you to finish it. Without a vision, the people will. Do Y'all know it? Without a vision, the people will. Who knows? I heard y'all say it loud. Without a vision, the people will perish. Have y'all heard that before? Without a vision, the people will perish. Without a vision, the people will perish. That's Solomon. That's the wise. 3,000 years ago, that was written. The people will perish. And that doesn't literally mean die. It's even possibly worse than that. It means they'll wander aimlessly with no hope and no strategy and no way to go. And again, guys, When people come in my my office and they talk about, man, my kids are losing their minds. First thing I want to know is what's the vision for your home? Because without a vision, the people will perish. They'll wander aimlessly. You're like, I don't know why my kids are doing drugs. What does your home look like? Is it loving? Because sometimes people just lose their minds. Let me be honest. Sometimes people lose their minds and they just go off the deep end. But nine times out of ten, nine times out of ten, when people start doing their thing, there's something going on at home. There's not a father figure. Or, or, or there's, just, there's just anger and there's hostility. And the vision of the home is we're going to do our thing because we're going to get ours. And without the vision, the people perish and it doesn't mean they die. It means they're going to go through life and there's no balance and there's no hope. And you're just like, whoa. And there's no unity, is there? In so many homes today, there's not unity there's a lack of that and it's pushing back and it's against that and it's like, I hate this. I don't even want to be home. And you feel, all these, you feel all these things and your circumstances weigh you down because you hate what you're going through and without a vision people perish. Well, that's the case for the church. Most of you most of you that grew up in church can, can identify with things that have happened in your church life that you say, it was awful, it was so frustrating, I couldn't stand it, I remember this, well it's because there was a lack of vision and it affected our attitudes and, and we were miserable and we were frustrated. And we didn't know why. And it's because our belief system isn't rooted in the Lord Jesus, deeply rooted in the Lord Jesus. It's rooted in if this thing works, I'll try this Jesus thing out. And if it's better than the other stuff I've tried, then that's pretty cool. He's not the Lord of my life. He's part of my life, and that's good. No, it's not. That means you have no vision and you're wandering aimlessly and we say with our mouths that we're followers of Jesus and we walk out the door and our attitude shows something totally different. Well, well, here's the deal. I don't want what the aimless man or aimless woman is. I want what the person that can be balanced and have, and have the same type of attitude in the worst of times and in the best of times. I want what that guy has. But you know, this has been a problem. This has been a problem for forever for as long as we have history and as long as we know the word I think people have been dealing with this matter of fact Paul was writing Ephesians is a letter to the to the church of Ephesus and he's penning this letter and he's writing all this stuff and he's got it's an amazing book the book of Ephesians and when he gets to chapter four I think he's dealing with this issue listen you guys say all these things, and you're very intelligent, and you do these things, but, but I'm not seeing any kind of, of, of reason that I would want to follow you. Do you know why? Because you're aimless in your vision. We, we have to have one vision, and that's to follow Jesus and to fulfill his purpose with our lives, and I'm not seeing that. And, and for, so for over 2,000 years, since before Jesus, and then, and then remember Solomon, 3,000 years, without a vision the people will perish, this has been an issue And I love Paul's words here, y'all. I love what Paul says in Ephesians chapter 4, the first few verses. And I want you to see them because I'm telling you, I really believe when it comes to your home, when it comes to your personal life, and in this church, in this church, this is an absolute game changer when it comes to the way that we live our lives and the result of what happens to us with us having a clear vision for what God wants to purpose in our lives, for what he wants to do. Watch this. Ephesians chapter 4. Starting at verse 1, it says, I therefore a prisoner for the Lord, a prisoner for the Lord. Now, no one wants to be a prisoner, do they? Paul would know what it's like to be a prisoner because that dude spent years in prison. His last prison experience was in this place called Mamertime, and the Mamertime prison was about five feet off the ground, was a dungeon. He got food from the top. They cut a hole in it and they sent it down to him, and it was miserable. There was no light. There was no bathroom. He had to use the bathroom on the floor in the corner of his dungeon. It was miserable, and yet it's where most, most of his letters were written, in a dungeon, when he spent the better part of three years in it. And so if anyone knew what it was like to be a prisoner, it was Paul. And he wasn't concerned about that, was he? matter of fact, if if I was in that, my, 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 circumstances would have affected my attitude and as a result of that I would have been mad and I would not have been singing chorus hymns that I'm free to run right because I'm chained up and I would not have been excited about being a Christ follower because my circumstances wouldn't have been what I wanted and yet man somehow through this when Paul's pinning these letters he's like man what a, what a joy it is to, to worship Jesus because I'm a prisoner not, not for Rome He didn't say that, did he? He he didn't say I was a prisoner because I preached the gospel. He said, no, I'm a prisoner for the Lord. And he urges us to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. Now, at this point, when we understand the tension of, guys, in all bad circumstances, in all good circumstances, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what your job is. It doesn't matter where you come from. It doesn't matter what your last name is, what color you are, rich or poor, none of this matter. You are called... You are called. You are called. And, and the day that you were called is the day that you said, Jesus, I want to make you Lord of my life by me trusting you as Savior. You are the boss and I am not. And then, boom, you have a call that is so much bigger than who you are. And the vision shifts. It shifts from me, me, me to he, he, he. I, he's above me. He must become greater. I must become less than everything in my life all my stuff, everything that I am, it all of a sudden shifts. And I look at him and I say, I want you over what I want. Well, well, if this isn't the case for me, then I need to reevaluate where I am with the Lord. Because a man that should have looked at his circumstances and said, this sucks. I hate it. I'm done. I'm not dealing with this anymore. I thought when I signed up for this Jesus thing, everything was going to be a bed of roses. And look at what I'm dealing with. He said, no, look, I've been called to something much greater. This is... I can't imagine a life more awesome than this because it's Jesus is freeing. I'm free to run. I'm free to dance. I'm free to live for you because you have set me free, not from necessarily this prison, but from life and from sin and from what I was. You've changed me to what I am, and I'm free. And so he says, all of you guys, listen, there's no one that's not possibly able to do great things for the Lord because you've been called to something much bigger than you. It's a collective calling. That's why we have a vision. So wake up. None of you are without a great calling on your life. We are all, we are all soldiers going to battle today, this second, because we're called. And then this is the part that I think is really cool. He gives us kind of the trail of what it should look like. Humility, gentleness, patience bearing love, and doing it through patience and peace. This is part of the fruit of the Spirit, but in this particular case, he's giving us a sign of what it looks like when our vision, when our vision, when our value systems, and when what we do, and what we say, and how we act, and the result of what he's done inside of us, what it looks like. And so I just want to walk you through these pretty quickly. Humility. Now, Almost everybody knows what it means to be humble. I often say I'm humble and proud of it. So that's a good thing. It's a great character trait to be humble and proud of it. But humility is a little bit different than maybe we give credit for. As a matter of fact, let me just hit on this. A lot of people people say, Pastor Mark, the truth is I'm just not good enough to do anything for God. And I'm going to tell you what that's called. That's called false humility, which is the same thing as pride. If you believe when you look yourself in the mirror that God made a mistake and you're not good enough for God to do something through, then the truth is you are just as prideful as I am on the flip side when I say, I don't know why God's not doing more. Both of us are equally prideful. We are full of pride because we're saying it's about me, and it's about me. It's about me. I'm not good enough. It's about me. I am more than good enough. Why is not God not doing it? That's pride. Pride is really bad. I'll just give you a reason. Pride is really bad because Lucifer was the highest of all angels above all of worship, He was so prideful he looked at God and he said, I should be on that throne. I can do this as good as you. God kicked him out of heaven. He took a third of the angels with him. And that's called Satan today with the demons. I don't necessarily want to be like that dude. That seems bad, right? I don't want to do that. Pride goes before destruction. And a haughty spirit, puffed up, goes before a fall. We saw Satan in the Bible. You can read stuff in Isaiah. You you can read about his fall. I don't want to do that fall. Well, that's a picture of the human spirit, y'all. The reason we are aimless in our lives is because of pride. It's the opposite of humility. This is how humility is possible. God first. Others second. And me at the end. Love God. Love people. That's how it's possible. That's how it looks. And listen, it's awesome to stand on a stage... And look you guys in the eye and say, love God, love people. Put God first, put others second. Listen, if you do that, you'll be full of humility. Guys, can I be honest with you? There's not one of you, and dang sure not me, that's going to do this naturally. This is a supernatural experience. This only happens when the Holy Spirit is filling your life like that open container. That only God's favor pouring in on us can happen because the natural man and the natural woman wants to be filled with what they want to be filled with and not the Holy Spirit's humbling us to do his great work. Listen, you are called to a manner that is much bigger than yourself, but you have to do it in humility. Why? Because if I do it for my own gain or my own selfishness, or if this vision is so that people can know my name and not the name of Jesus, it's going to be seen, and the devastation and the after effects of what happens because of it is, is awful. And I can tell you examples of pastor friends that I have had that have built great churches but they believed it was about them and ultimately their marriage was destroyed their homes were destroyed and it's because at some point they took a step back and they said look at all these people here look what I've done if God's teaching me anything right now it's that that thought is comical that it's all of us trying to fulfill What God would have us, look at me, what God would have us do to fulfill his will and his calling. He said, I came to seek and to save the lost. He said, I didn't come for the the healthy people, I came for the sick. They need help and that's why I came. And so we humble ourselves under his lordship because Jesus is Lord and I am not. And we say, God, you're the boss of my life and I'm not. And so humility comes in, Jesus first, others second, and me last. And the second one is gentleness. I, I really think this one's cool. I'm not a gentle person. <laughs> I'm not like naturally, I don't get up in the morning and I'm just like real meek in personality and in girth and all that stuff. So this isn't one that I just wake up with. Uh, how many of y'all, I hope we got a better, how many of y'all have ever read or seen of Mice and Men? I need y'all to raise your hand, of Mice and Men. Thank you. There's so many more in this one. My nickname when I was a teenager, it was Lenny, because they would be like, I had, I'd be to do with the mouse, he's a nice mouse, and then I would kill it, right, because, and if y'all hadn't seen it or read the book, y'all need to, because it's good, but that was kind of me, like my grandma, when I was 14, asked me to come give her a hug, and I broke her ribs, and literally, that's this true story, that was 20 years ago, 20, 20 years ago, And one month ago at a dinner, she was like, do you remember when you broke my ribs? And I'm like, it's 20 years ago, but I'm just not naturally gentle. It's not something. I mean, if you break your grandma's ribs, really? It's just like, why didn't I side hug? Like, I needed to learn that little thing back in the day, right? Because she's just too big and don't even know it. So gentleness is not something, and meekness. Meekness is how Jesus described it, blessed are the meek. And so when we hear this, and we're big macho guys, and ladies, Thank God for you because you naturally seem to get this a little better than some of us. When we hear this, we think weakness, right? Meekness, weakness, means you're, you, you fall under and I got to be a man and I got to stand up. Meekness is not weakness. It's power under control. If you want the definition, it means power under control. And I love this picture. This is the picture that, that in the original language, they understood this to me. They understood this to I mean. If we were if we were to go to like Colorado or places that wild colts still run, then we found one and it was bucking like a, a crazy bronco or something was going crazy and we saw it and, and we didn't know what to do got right because we've never we've never broken our own our own horse. But we found a horse trainer and, and they found it. And this wild animal that was going crazy, they captured it and then it calmed down and then it was broken. And it would listen for its master and do whatever it wants to do. That broken colt, that broken horse that was once wild, wild, wild is now listening for its master and will go where it says and do what it says. The bit is in its mouth and it embraces the bit. It it no longer fights it. It It no longer fights having having the the saddle on its back and, and going to the place where its master wants to go and kick. It's ready and it's listening for its master. Well, that's us. The reason I like gentleness and meekness in my life is not because I don't hear God's voice, but because it's not the voice that I desire to hear more than any other voice. It's not the voice that I run to when I hear him whistle or I hear him whisper and call my name. I'm running to him and I'm waiting for him to work in my life and move in my life. Well, it's because pride is overwhelming and because pride is it is what my life is about, then I, d- I don't want to be humble, and I don't want to be gentle and meek, because I want this life to be about me. When people come up to you and I, remember attitudes and how vision affects it, when people come up to us, if, if meekness and gentleness is not what people see, it describes it as like a soothing medicine. If I'm not soothing, I'm unsoothing, and a lot of times that's me because I'm abrasive. <laughs> And people are screaming, help me. My circumstances are falling down all around me. I don't know what to do. And because of my abrasive personality at times that is not meek, power under control. Listen, so often we teach people fight back. But a meek man is one that can endure hardships and not fight back. And that is a great testimony that I would love to be called someday. If people call me a great pastor at the end of my life but cannot call me meek, then I really was not a great pastor. And that's tough. Because today I would not describe myself in this manner. But I believe for me to have the proper vision, that must take place. And it is a changing every day from what I was to what I am becoming and ultimately what I will be in the Lord. This can only happen when I'm broken like that colt. The next one is patience. Also not very good at this one because I want things right now, right? Does anybody else that way? I want, I want to see results. I want it to happen today. If we're in a conversation, I'm like the lawyer in the room because I, I'm i I'm quick-witted and I want to talk. And when I have people in the room, thank God for our staff that they put up with me because they're very much this way. And so I'm like, I just want answers. Let's go right now to 100 miles an hour. And they're like, dude, slow your roll. <laughs> we need to be patient. And I thank God every day for them because if they weren't, we would, whoo, the bus would wreck. But like, But I just look at them and say, why can't you answer right now? Right? Where's the answers? Leah's this way too. She loves when we have conversations. Conversations that may get a little carried away sometimes. But like, I just want to, come on. Let's fight. Let's get it out in the open. Let's go because I'm not patient. And then when I'm waiting on God, some of y'all right now, look at me. Some of y'all right now are waiting on God. You're in the middle of a storm. And you're like, why is this happening? I don't understand sickness. This is me. I don't understand it. But God has a plan. There's never been a time that God's allowed a trial. Temptations are different. That comes from within. That's my sin that is creeping back out. But but trials and and, and testings are are what God allows. Patience through being able to walk through these storms with patience, knowing that my hope rests in the Lord and not in me. And this is where where it becomes a problem. This is where my vision comes all out of whack. I think I should be able to fix everything, right? My God. I said this prayer, man, and I meant it. And I really wanted to give you everything. But, dude, this, this is too hard, man. Oh, it's hard. <laughs> this is what I think to myself when I start having belly aches and pity parties. And I do this a lot because I'm good at pity parties. For real. <laughs> Paul was writing letters in a prison. He was in several prisons, by the way, ultimately beheaded. And said, but for me to live is Christ, but to die is even more gain than that. I want to die so I can be with Jesus. But he wasn't suicidal. He was so focused on what his heavenly father wanted him to do that he was, he was just, just single-minded enough to love and to serve and to be patient through this bearing one another in love and always hope that he could maintain that spirit of unity together so that we could fulfill the calling that was on each one of our lives. What if I was in prison for nothing I had done wrong, and it wasn't a prison like what we have, where there's, where there's activities to do sometimes, but nothing, no activity, never see the light of day, five foot off the ground, so a person like me would have to bend over this much just to be able to move. And yet he was he was. He was Cheering the Lord, telling him how much he loved him, giving him praise for his name was great. No, if my circumstances aren't good, I can't do this. And this is what he's saying, just be patient, bearing these things. And listen, here's the deal. This is why unity in the church is so important. This is why I'm so excited about where God's taking our church. This is why Sunday morning is my favorite time of the week. It's because I love you guys. Those of you that are guests and those of you that have called Four Points Home for a long time, we bear each other's burdens. We walk beside each other. No one's strong enough to do this on their own. Paul had tens of thousands of people by this time that were praying on his behalf and writing him letters and hoping for him. And he was leading the charge. But, but no man or no woman can do this on their own. And that's why, that's why we fellowship together. That is not the sole purpose for this church. We exist to honor God. And by doing so, we hope to reach the least of lost and the lonely with the gospel. But guys, we have hope in the Lord and that unity by walking together in peace having patience doing what we do that is why we do it and in the worst of times I'm closer to some of you than some of my family that I don't talk to and I'm not mad at my family but you guys become my brothers and sisters in Jesus Christ that is the unity that we have that is how we have one heartbeat that is how we have one heartbeat it is not my heartbeat do not misunderstand what this reads it is the Lord Jesus heartbeat that he has given us we want to love and serve other people because we've been loved and served by Him. And if they can see our attitude is in line with Him, maybe they will want what we have and their lives can radically change. But if my, if my personality or my excuses or my circumstances don't allow me to be humble and gentle and patient, bearing each other and eager to maintain unity, then why would they want what we have and why will we change this community through the Lord Jesus forever? And this is why and how it happens, verse four. This is why and how it happens because there's one body and one spirit. You know who that one body is? That's you and that's me. That's this house. There's one body. Churches all over the country are meeting today but this church, small c, is not about, it's not bigger than the big church. It's his body. This is God's church and always will be. This is not my church. This is his church. And then there's one spirit, and that's the Holy Spirit. Jesus said, I'm going to leave someone better than me. And you'll do things greater than I've ever done. Why? Because he left his spirit for us. And in you, Christ follower, in you is the Holy Spirit that changes everything. There is no one that's not good enough. All of us can accomplish great things because there's one spirit. Just as you were called to one hope, that hope is in the Lord Jesus. It is not a I hope so, I hope the Gamecocks or I hope the Tigers win this week. That's a hope that we can just flip a coin and say, I hope we're better than the team we're playing. That's not what we're talking about. We have a firm foundation, which is a solid rock, which is Jesus Christ because he died, but he also rose again and he's alive today. And all the other gods that people worship, they are not alive, but our God is alive. That is the hope, the foundation, the firm rock that we stand on. It is not a hope so, it is a no so. And that is the one hope that belongs to my calling And that's what changes. My calling is not a, I just hope I do this so God loves me. He can't love you more. He can't love you less. He's God. He loves you so much. And we don't do it so he loves us. We do it because we get to, because we're called to something so much bigger than we are. Because we have one Lord. And that's the Lord Jesus. And one faith. And that is by trusting in him. Because he said in John 14, 6, there's no other name under heaven by which we must be saved. I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one can come to the Father except through me. That is the one faith that we have in one baptism, that I, like that cult, was dead in my sins, but I was buried and rose again. And it's not the water that saves me, but the Holy Spirit that comes inside me and changes everything because I trust him, put him as Lord of my life, and I as a follower of him, and then one, one God and Father. Jesus called God, God the Father. In the Lord's prayer, the disciples' prayer, he said, our Father who art in heaven. And then many times that's been repeated. One of my favorite verses in the Bible, John 1, 12, For those who receive him, he's given the right to be called sons and daughters of the king. Children of God. Guys, he is our Father if we followed him. And we have one Father who is over all and through all, And in all. And Colossians chapter 1 says that he, look at me, this is how unity takes place. That he holds all things together. That God the Father is over all and through all and in all. The way that your home can have unity and the vision that is right, the way that that your life can, the way that you can have meaning and the way that you can fulfill your purpose is to know who holds all things together by placing him as Lord and me under him. By saying I want it to be about you first, other second, And me last, I I, I want God, when people see me, they see power under control, a broken cult. What I once was is not how I'm defined anymore. Who cares what people think you were? It's all about what you are becoming and what God is in you. And that's what (laughs) changes the game. And for so many people, I look at them and they want to talk about what they were. And I want to ask them, do you realize what you're saying that God hasn't broken me? Because what you were is not important anymore. It's what you are becoming every single day. If what defines you is what your successes are or what you used to be or what you think you might accomplish in this world, then maybe you've never looked at the Lord Jesus and said, I realize what you've done for me has come, live a sinless life, and died on a cross for my sins and for the sins of my friends and my people. Who am I and who are my people that we should get to serve the Lord? that we should get to walk this way, that we should have a calling on our lives based on what I've done. There should be no one that wants me to live for them. And yet the God of the universe looks down on each one of us and says, daughter, you're good enough, son. I want you. Live for me. Live freely for me. And that's how my home is changed. It's not something that I do. It's not a great book that I read. It's not, it's not talking to the right person. It's by falling on my knees and saying, Oh God, I, I realize what you've done for me and you're over all and through all and in all and by breathing you made the universe and you're the God that created and sustains and provides and yet for some strange reason you want a relationship with me enough to send your son to die <clears throat> and take my sacrifice so that you could have life. You and I could have life. And guys, here's the deal. For us to have a vision, for us to have a vision, we first must know what we believe and why we believe it because our vision, our vision determines our attitudes. Our vision determines our attitudes. And ultimately, ultimately, our attitudes show the world what we believe. So if it's based on this, if it's based on this, because Jesus said in John chapter 13 verse 35, love one another, as I have loved you. Because by this, all men will know that you're my disciple if you love one another. Based on your attitudes toward each other, your attitudes toward the world, your attitudes when things go bad in your life, this is why people will know that you're my disciples. And I just just question this. When people watch me and they recognize what my vision is based on what I do and not what I say, based on where I walk, based on how I walk, do they want what I have because I'm alive and I'm free and I have Jesus that has changed my life forever? Or do they recognize the fact that I'm just, I'm just a wild cult that knows how to talk well? And guys, for the first time, some of you today need to say, you know what, I need Jesus to come in my life and change me. I want to be saved. I want to be broken. I want to be baptized in him and raised a new person that is alive and well. And for all the rest of you, Let's leave here and have a vision for our homes and a vision for our lives and let's bring more than 300 people in this church, not so we can talk about it and say we're awesome, but so people can hear the gospel and be alive. And that's the game changer. That's the game changer. This is why this is the cap, is because we believe that this vision is worth having, that everything we do is going to fit in our guardrails of what those four-point stances are and reaching the least, the lost, and the lonely. And it's so that we can honor God as a body because it's his body, not ours. Will you bow your heads with me? With your head bowed and eyes closed real quickly, I just want to ask you two brief questions. The first one, and it's the most important question you'll ever answer as long as you live. Do I know for sure that I'm a follower of Jesus? Like that horse, that was broken before his master and listens for the words of of him. Guys, if you've never been broken, if you've never put the Lord Jesus as the Lord of your life, if you're still the boss and you've never said, God, I surrender all to you, it doesn't matter what you do, it doesn't matter what you say, it doesn't matter what you know, the truth is there will never be hope in your life, a firm foundation, a solid rock. You may be able to talk well, but you will never be free to run and free to dance and free to live because you will always hope so and never know so. Today we offer you hope in glory. The eternal, the eternal security of knowing that you have the Lord Jesus in your life. But listen, it's even more than that. It's not a get out of jail free card. It's a live free card. It's a alive in Jesus Christ card. And if that's not you today and you know who you are, you know who you are. You know that the Lord's pulling on you. You feel your heart beating right now. What I want you to do as high as you can and honest as you can, I just want you to say, Pastor Mark, that's me. I need Jesus to save me. I know it. I know I need it. I don't care what you've done in the past, where you've prayed in the past. Truthfully, before God, I need to be saved right here, right now. I just want you to raise your hand as high as you can. Raise it up. Say, Pastor Mark, seriously, dude, that's me. I need to be saved. I need to be saved right now. Just raise it up. Raise it up. Right now, I need to be saved. I need Jesus to come in my life and to save me. Hey, listen, that's awesome. That, what that tells me is everybody or almost everybody in the room is a follower of Jesus, and that is fantastic. So here's the deal. I want everybody to look this way. Every one of us that are followers of Jesus, you have a calling on your life that is so much bigger than your job or where you live or your favorite team. It is the game-changing call on your life that is worthy of, of of being what controls or what pushes our lives. Everyone has a vision. The question is not do you have a vision, but what is driving your vision? What is your belief system? Where are you going? Guys, if you want to change, it is not a book. It is not a mentor, and all those things are good, but it is truly surrendering under his lordship and saying, "Today I want to live for you. I want to live for you and I want to do whatever I can." to make much of Jesus Christ, and the result of those things will fall into place. I want to honor God with all of me, and when that happens, it changes the game. Will you stand as we sing?